0: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it was a busy weekend in MMA, if not a super high-profile one. One championship returned to Prime Video with an event that didn't seem to make too many waves. Uh, We had one of the weirdest UFC fight night events of all time, a fight card put on for the enjoyment of one man, one billionaire, one tech geek down there at the apex. And we will talk plenty about that topic as we move forward. And of course, Bellator, which just feels like it continues to spin its wheels over on Showtime. So that was definitely a thing that happened as well what if any of this stuff did you take in live
1: you know i watched uh some of the ufc fight night event live uh especially i caught some of the early prelims live managed to catch enough live to tell you what to see that zuckerberg is apparently enough of a bitch-ass casual that he was not in his seat for the very first prelim yeah yeah so that's interesting
0: yeah uh We will talk about Zuckerberg and all that at length coming up in the rounds before we get into any of that. However, new shop alert, new shop alert, Ben, the co main events, new merchandising shop has finally launched. We've got all new CME logo designs for sale over there. All new Dundasso designs. The long awaited Bobby Nux shirt is available. All new. Are you fucking kidding me designs? You can go over there, get yourself an, are you fucking kidding me? Coffee mug if that's what you want, let everybody around the breakfast table know exactly where you're coming from. And of course, my personal favorite, if you're watching the video version of this show right now, Ben's got it on his body, the yep. brand new MMA gods shirt. It's all happening right now over there at the new CME shop. Just go to co and click the brand new link at the top of the page that says shop. That'll get you there. Ben, t- what's going on with the shirt? Tell the kids how the shirt feels.
1: I tell you what, Chad, the shirt feels fucking amazing, is how it feels. It's soft and comfortable, and yet it feels durable. It feels sturdy. It's a flattering goddamn fit, if yeah. I do say so myself.
0: It's got a nice cut to it.
1: hmm Yes, it does. Uh I've already noticed just uh walking the dog around the neighborhood, get some looks. It gets some looks. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's if you know, you know, and if you don't, then you wouldn't get it. But we have quite a few options there to choose from. The one I want to draw everybody's attention to, however, one of my favorites is our Bobby Nux t-shirt design. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to speak directly to a member of our audience who I assume has been down with us since day one. I refer now, of course, to UFC middleweight and former champion Robert Whitaker. <clears throat> Bobby, we know that half of this money from those t-shirts is yours. Rightfully yours. You are Bobby Knuckles. I mean, we did we did help. Our guy, uh, Colby Hentges, came up with the nickname. We popularized it. We kind of forced it on you, uh, even when you didn't want it. But everybody loved it. The people loved it. They're talking about it in the goddamn UFC video game. Seems like it's been a success. So... We saw the T-shirts that you made, and that was—it was a solid first effort, you know. Maybe not a ton going on there in terms of creative design, but it, you know, it was not bad. We put our guy Johnny Ashcroft on the case, and he—he uh, he knocked it right out of the park. So, all you've got to do, Bobby, is just get at us, tell us how you want to be paid, and you know what. Maybe even promote the thing a little bit yourself. Maybe you tell your fans if they want to represent Bobby Knuckles. Here's how they could do it. Uh, puts a little bit money, more money in your pocket. But we're not bullshitting you about this, my friend. Half of the, the profits from those Bobby Knuckles t-shirts are yours. You ain't got to do anything for it, man. It's free money. All you got to do is contact the podcast. Let us know how and when you'd like to receive your money. That's it. That's it. Okay. I imagine
0: Robert Whitaker driving down the street in Australia in his Range Rover just had to pull over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just, he's, he's, he's going to his phone trying to get in contact with us right now as we speak.
1: You know what? He can go to comainevent.com, Chad. <laughs> and up there in the right-hand corner, he will see the link that says email the podcast. That'll get you, Bobby in touch with us.
0: That's right. We say it every week. You know, I'm glad that you brought up Johnny Ashcroft because we are partnering with Johnny and our friends at Superconductor on this shop and these new designs. Superconductor is a brand and design studio. You've actually seen their work on the CME for a long time now. The original Dundasso t-shirts, the original cowboy astronaut cigarette t-shirts, and maybe you just didn't know it. Our longtime collaborator, Johnny Ashcroft, is responsible for those designs and the new ones. Superconductor builds brand worlds. They dream up product packaging. They conjure content. They illustrate illustrations and so much more. They make art for communication and communicate through art. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at superconductor.com or I'm sorry, studiosuperconductor.com or on IG at studiosuperconductor. All right, let's get into it you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper don't forget to go out and follow us on instagram at cme if you nasty like us on facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event this show drops every monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries but remember if you want even more mma discussion for the discerning fight fan check us out over on patreon pledge month is over and it was a smashing success among other things we launched a brand new patronage tier the twenty dollar tier for the true shit eating wild people that absolutely can't get enough MMA and can't get enough of the only real independent show in the top tier of MMA podcasts. That's us. Of course, you can still join at the $1 level, the $5 level, the $10 level. But if you've got $20, you never want to see again. Use it to join our Patreon and you get over three hours of additional podcast content every single week. We got brand new shows going up four days a week over there now. You get access to the CME's official Discord, the best online community in all of MMA. And starting this week you get not only an ad free version of the CME proper this show, but you get access to our brand new top secret special new segment at the end of this show right here. That's right. It's the CME proper after hours. When the free version of this show wraps up, you can hear us just keep on talking. If you happen to be a $20 patron of the co-main event, that is, stay tuned for the upcoming new segment at the end of this show. But right now, you better run join the CME Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up right away we got music this week from our guys foreign cash you guys know this by now an la based production duo if you like what you hear from them on the show check out more of their stuff at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreign cash and again that's c-a-c-h-e in the word cash three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one they told us it wasn't zuck It was (laughs) Zuck. It was Zuck
1: all all along.
0: along. And in round number two, I'm sorry if I made anybody sad with my performance, says Mackenzie Dern after her loss on Saturday night, which I mean, I wasn't sad before, but I am now. I don't know about you guys, but Mackenzie Dern feeling like she has to apologize for how she did at a low rent fight night event put on exclusively for the pleasure of one really, really rich guy does in fact make me sad. And in round number three, Bellator, is it still a thing? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail comes, comes to us from William Muldoon, I believe 19th century wrestling champion was william muldoon okay have you ever tried to snap off a decent sized tree branch but it won't snap because the tree is still healthy and viable so you keep bending it up and down and twisting it trying to get it either to snap or rip or wear out but in reality it's going to need a knife just to cut it off discuss brandon gibson trying to tear off aaron pico's arm like a stubborn pre- tree branch please so we will talk more about bellator coming up later in the show uh but this was the highlight of the weekend for bellator was Aaron Pico dislocating his own shoulder. I believe he came out later and said on the first punch that he threw of yeah. the night. And then uh, for some reason, doctors and commission types not immediately calling this fight off and given uh, Brandon Gibson, who I'm going to go ahead and call friend of the show because mm-hmm. we've both talked to him a bunch of times. Uh, he's a good dude. He's over there frantically just frantically trying to relocate Aaron Pico's shoulder in between rounds and man it's basically a highlight tailor made for the internet it's almost like you could only ask for something better if you were Bellator if it was an actual fighting highlight instead of a guy trying to relocate his fighter's arm in the corner between rounds
1: yeah you know I have seen a fair number of dislocated shoulders and then people popping those shoulders back in. And maybe Aaron Pico and Brandon Gibson have different experience with it, but when I've seen it done, I've seen it done a lot more gently than that. Like, that seemed like... For one thing, it's not terribly subtle (laughs) what we're trying to do there, you know? Like, if we're trying to keep the... The eyes of the commission away. We're trying not to let the cage side doctor or the referee or anybody know that there's anything wrong with your guy, and we're trying to, to, to fix it without anybody being hip to it. That's probably not the way you want to go about it. You might want to just take a little subtler approach. And I've, but I've seen people do it, and usually people will tell you is that it's a matter of just trying to move it around to the right place and get it to suck back in. But a lot of people also, they want to be able to lay down in a certain position when they do it. Just having to do it while you're sitting there on a stool like that probably adds an extra layer of difficulty. Plus there's a little bit of time limit on this shit. But also if your shoulders are really dislocated and somebody is yanking on it like that, trying to get it back in, uh, wouldn't that hurt like all hell? That seems pretty goddamn awful.
0: My scientific medical opinion is yes, that would hurt pretty bad. Look, man, uh, yeah, it wasn't subtle. Brandon Gibson's efforts to get the shoulder to pop back in were not subtle in any way, but there was also some urgency involved, right? Yeah. yeah. Not only do you only have one minute to try to get the thing back in, but also you don't train for this. You don't train for trying to get Aaron Pico's shoulder reattached to his body in between rounds, so I'm not going to sit here and cast stones at Brandon Gibson's shoulder relocation technique feel like this man is out here uh, doing the best that he could. And as I've said before, Brandon Gibson, for for all intents and purposes, whenever I've spoken with the man, seems like a regular human being mm-hmm. who holds down a professional job with the city of Albuquerque.
1: Yeah. Responsible when, for overseeing the zoo, is he not?
0: Yeah. He's like the, the head of the parks and cultural department or something. He's basically like Leslie Nope, I think, over there in Albuquerque. When I'm seeing things like this, and this is not the first time I've thought this in my own mind brain about Brandon. Does he wonder, how did I get here? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Is is this like the start of a movie where it freeze frames Mm -hmm. and Brandon Gibson's voiceover comes on and he's like, yep, that's me trying to get Aaron Pico's arm back into its socket. You're probably wondering how I got here. And then we go on with the movie about Brandon Gibson's life. But this is just this is surreal, man.
1: Yeah, do you think you go back to the office after that in like the Albuquerque City Parks Department or whatever, and people are talking about their weekends? You know, people are like, "What you? you know, went on a hike, uh, got out there, did a little, you know, four mile out and back, just nice, enjoyed a nice fall day." Uh, yeah, you know me, I did some stuff around the yard, got cleaned up around the yard, it's really looking good. How about you, Brandon? And then. You see him take a sip of his coffee and flashes inside his mind as he is remembering himself yanking on Aaron Pico's arm, trying to get his shoulder to suck back into place. And then he looks up and he's like, mm, didn't do anything. Yeah, it's nope. fine. Just been to watch some TV. Breaking Bad. You guys seen that one?
0: Nice little weekend. You guys watched the end of Better Call Saul yet?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, this was the first loss for Aaron Pico since June of 2019. Remember when Aaron Pico locks back-to-back fights against Henry Corrales and Adam Boric? And we were like, oh, they rushed him. mm mm-hmm. they, they may have ruined Aaron Pico. Well, he turns around. He rattles off six straight wins all against guys that don't have Wikipedia pages which uh, might tell you something he gets to 10 and three as of April of this year. But then he comes into this fight at Bellator two eighty six about Jeremy Kennedy and he loses officially via first round injury TKO. So that snaps uh, Aaron Pico's six fight win streak. He, he was saying after this thing was over, he wants to have a rematch, which I think is understandable with Jeremy Kennedy. And he vows to become a champion says Aaron Pico about himself.
1: Now you, now that you mention it, that was the start of the Borch business, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wellmore yeah. got into the Borch business, whether it wanted to or not.
0: Yeah, so here in Adam Borch was also on this uh on this card as well. you know i'm I'm not trying to put together a conspiracy theory here.
1: Oh good, here we go. Here we go
0: But in fourteen fights, and at ten and four now, three of Aaron Pico's four losses have come against guys that have wikipedia pages. He's undefeated against guys who don't have wikipedia pages, Ben. And now, I believe he's 1 and 3 against guys who do have wikipedia pages. So the next fight they book for me, I'm just I'm making sure the guy doesn't have a wikipedia page. I don't care how good he is. I'm just, I'm sending some online trolls to delete this man's wikipedia page before we fight. That's all I'm saying.
1: It's kind of a weird metric to use though, in Bellator. Fewer Bellator fighters, I feel, have Wikipedia pages.
0: Look, man, don't come in here with your logic trying to undo my conspiracy theory. I'm just saying. Delete his Wikipedia page. That's what I'm doing for my next opponent, if I'm Aaron Pico. Next question this week comes from our guy, Nobby Buckles, over on Patreon, one of the mods over at the Patreon Discord, the CME official Discord. He writes, is Chelsea Chandler's fight the best 140 pounds women's catchweight debut debut in recent memory of all time?
1: Now, you know I think what? He might I can't be, think of a better one.
0: I think he might be trolling our guy, mm-hmm. Rouge Islam, over on... on. Oh. The Patreon, because Arouge hates when people ask, was this the best XYZ of all time or in recent memory questions? So I think our guy Dave, aka Nobby, is needling him a little bit here. But he says, seriously, though, what's the point of the catch weight between a weight class that's thin and a weight class that's non-existent? Just fucking make featherweight an actual weight class and satisfy Keith Peterson by cutting out all this nonsense. Love you both, ridiculously, impresarios, comparative, and I trust oh nothing. And trust I owe nothing. Love you both, ridiculous empresarios comparatively. And trust I owe nothing. Which he says, he notes, is an anagram for lubrication. Okay. I don't know how many people uh, saw this fight. Did you watch this one? Yeah, I did. Because uh, this was an impressive showing. It
1: was. It really was. It also, though... Uh, not to undercut the impressive showing in the debut, because you'll remember in $20 We Never Want to See Again, I had Ranko here. I, I had her as part of a, a parlay, I believe. And one of the reasons I had was not that I felt like, you know, Chelsea Chandler sucks or anything, but just, you know, we've seen from experience, you come in to the UFC. she got five professional fights, all in Invicta, making her UFC debut. A lot of people are not their best selves in that situation. It's hard to be because there's a lot of pressure on you in the UFC. If you feel like a lot more people are paying attention, and like you just you can't screw it up. And so that that gets the jitters are a real thing. It gets to people, and you know early on, Stoliarenko took her down immediately and easily, yeah. and went yeah. straight to mount. And maybe believed her own hype a little too much because she went straight to mount and then straight to working on that arm bar and gave up top position and you're like, you know what? Maybe if you stay in mountain throw some punches and elbows first, maybe you, you soften her up a little bit. And instead when she didn't get that first arm bar and then when she when they're back on their feet and she gets tagged with a couple of good shots and kind of realizes she's in a fight, you start to see Stolyarenko look like she that the body language was not great.
0: Yeah, there was a definite uh oh
1: moment. Yeah. Where
0: she gets tagged a couple times,
1: and she was looking like she was feeling the exhaustion a little bit early on. Uh, she was feeling the power and didn't have a whole lot of answers at that point. And uh, Chandler just looked more and more comfortable as the fight went on. But I agree, like if you're gonna you're gonna take in uh, somebody who you know has fought some at bantamweight, uh, but has also missed the bantamweight before, probably more comfortable at featherweight. You're gonna bring her in. What are we doing a catchweight bout for? Like what's the point of that? Why even if you don't see yourself doing like a, a huge business with featherweight, why not just make the fight there? Like why why would a, a catchweight be somehow any better in this situation? I don't understand the logic at all.
0: Yeah, uh Story Lorenko, by the way, the former Invicta champ. So to come in and make your UFC debut against her, I can understand. why you would pick against chelsea chandler but you know what you forgot when you were making that pick caesar gracie Jiu Jitsu stockton what yeah that's where chelsea chandler is from Mm -hmm. and she came in here and frankly lived up to the reputation of the camp because she came out with the mean mug Mm -hmm. and then she just just beat the absolute tar out of the opponent here and ends up getting the win uh so I'm interested to see what happens next here because Chelsea Chandler looked impressive. She looked like she packed some power in the hands that you don't often see uh, in the women's divisions. And so I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see where she goes next. I want to see her fight. She was saying uh, short notice fight at featherweight or give her a little time and she'll come back in at bantamweight. So I guess it remains to be seen if the UFC actually wants to do anything at featherweight, at women's featherweight or not. And that will likely dictate what happens next for a lot of people, including Chelsea Chandler, who's going to come out here, by the way, and call out Norma Dumont right away. Like, okay. Yeah, might
1: as well, I guess. Sure. Why not? Why not?
0: Next question this week comes to us from David, and it's a bit of a long one. And you want to talk about conspiracies? Here's one. Here we go. Subject line What I think may be an unpopular opinion about Stipe, it says. I've been thinking about this for a long while, but you know, the saying you hear sometimes that he got old overnight. Well, I believe that this happens to people more often than we notice people like Tony Ferguson seem to be the one seem to be one of the most recent victims of this phenomena phenomenon. But here is what I think has happened in the last five years or so. When Daniel Cormier last fought John Jones, the head kick knockout, he had suffered from quote, getting old overnight. The thing about DC, he is so good that he could hide it. He was able to rattle off a few more wins and win the heavyweight belt, but I believe he knew he had, quote, gotten old overnight at the time. He knew he had passed the hump, and he was good enough to where as long as he didn't fight somebody too tough, he would still most likely win. Now we come to Stipe. I believe in the first loss to D.C., he had experienced, quote, getting old overnight. I don't think he knows it. Yeah, he beat DC two more times, but DC was already old overnight. <laughs> I, I believe anyone Stepe fights that is in the top of the heavyweight division will beat him convincingly. He might end up being the heavyweight version of Tony Ferguson, the kicker. John Jones knows this. John will not only beat him, but I believe he will style on him and set a precedent. Most people don't realize that Stipe has already gotten old overnight, and that will make John Jones look all that much more impressive when he convincingly de- beats him. Then Stipe will retire am I crazy for thinking this?
1: Wow. That was a ride, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, man, you want to talk to a couple guys who know a little something about getting old overnight. You came to the right place. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, that's uh, the only way that I feel like I can respond to this. Uh, thesis is to say, maybe, maybe you are, you're dealing with gentlemen of a certain age in this discussion. It wouldn't be the craziest thing if they all suddenly got old overnight.
1: So what you're telling me Is that January 2018, Stipe beats Francis Ngannou in their first meeting, right? Uh, Breaks the record for the most consecutive UFC heavyweight title defenses on that night. Then, a little less than, what, seven months later, that July, he gets knocked out by Daniel Cormier in, in their first meeting. And that's the one where he got old overnight, like somewhere between January 2018, looking good. Beaten Francis and of July 2018. Washed. That's what well, you're that's, telling me. That's okay. the,
0: that's why we say got old overnight. That's okay. the whole
1: point of the expression. So then he comes back and wins two fights against DC, who got has has himself got old overnight when he lost to John Jones via head kick in 2017. So he at this point had already been old overnight. For a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, Basically, what we're getting down to is kind of an argument that nobody's good and everybody just sucks to different degrees, which is a thing MMA fans have been known to get to at times. Just like we've said how you can chip away at anybody's legacy and accomplishments by going back and be like, okay, sure. He beat those guys, but those guys sucked when he beat them or they were never good or they were overrated, whatever. We're kind of making the argument that everybody here involved in this heavyweight title picture with the possible exception of Francis Ngannou, who maybe was too young overnight. The first time he fought Stipe aged yeah. just right, just the right <laughs> age. And ripened time the like rematch. a fine wine, but everybody else just sucks and we don't know it. Uh, I'm, I'm suspicious of this argument I also think if we're talking about John Jones is going to come in here and exploit Bay having gotten old overnight again like fucking 4 years ago how do we know John Jones hasn't gotten old over the course of many months because we haven't seen him fight in a long ass time man like John Jones if John Jones so- shows up and is suddenly old we won't be able to say he got old overnight we will say he got old at the kind of normal rate of the passage of time because it's been so goddamn long since he's fought.
0: It's been a long time since we saw either of those guys. It's been about a year and a half for Stipe, and the last time we saw John Jones' fight was February of 2020 when he got uh, the squeaker over Dominic Reyes at UFC 247. So um, that'll be one where it'll be interesting to see how they both look if indeed that fight happens. However, like, look, that's a little bit... You know, we get a little, have a little fun here with the expression getting old overnight. Everybody got old overnight. It makes it a little difficult to suss out what we're really talking about here. But if you told me, look, man, by the time DC and Stipe got into the last two fights of their trilogy, they were both a little bit past their prime. That's not a crazy argument to make at all. No. Like that's, that's a perfectly fine argument to make, especially since, like we talked about, these heavyweight guys get up there in, in years and heavyweight guys have a tendency to... To maybe soldier on age-wise a little bit longer than some of their peers. So, like, if your argument at base is Stepe and DC were all were both a little bit long in the tooth by the time they got into their trilogy, that doesn't seem crazy to me at all. I could totally see that.
1: Yeah, but you could also, without just arguing about anybody getting old or anything, I mean, Stepe Miusic at this point he's forty years old. He's had twenty-four professional fights. And all but the first six came in the UFC. One of those guys who was in the UFC pretty early on in his career and fighting the tough-ass heavyweights who they had for him to fight at the time. You know, Had a couple uh, hard fights in there. And then he gets knocked out once by Daniel Cormier and then gets absolutely sent to the Dark Lands by Francis Ngannou. If you show up back after those two and it turns out that you're not the same, I don't know that we need to blame any sort of like sudden aging process. Like that could just be what happens to you over the course of a a career at the the heavyweight division in the UFC where pretty much the whole time you were fighting tough dudes. Like that's going to put some miles on the odometer. And especially when you get knocked out like that by Francis Ngannou, if it turns out he's never quite the same after that. I mean, that could happen to you whether you're 40 or whether you're 30. Uh, Francis Ngannou could could take some life from you in that way so I, I that would not be hard for me to believe either
0: I just think it's not a crazy argument argument to make just despite the fact that maybe we went a little overboard accusing everybody of getting old everybody's
1: overnight. old and sucks everybody
0: that's going to do it for listener mail this week if you have a question comment or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks you know how to do it you go to the website co dot and if you happen to be Robert Whitaker Click that link up there in the top right hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. Hell, if you're just an ordinary guy and you want to get a hold of us, Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well Ben Dana White lied to our faces. I'm sure that they'll come up with some semantic argument for why he didn't or why that's okay, even if he did. But Mark Zuckerberg showed up at the apex. Maybe he didn't officially quote unquote rent it out. Maybe the uFC offered it to him for free. maybe Dana White pitched him on investing in Zufa boxing while he was there. I don't know. Point is, there was a lot of intrigue last week leading up to this event about why it would be closed to both fans and the media, and the UFC and Dana White in particular, certainly led us to believe it wasn't because Mark Zuckerberg was going to be there. Then it totally was. Ben, folks, what say you on this subject? Well,
1: first of all... uh, if we're going to get into a semantic question about whether Dana White lied, hey, he, he basically lied. Whether Regardless of what the situation was, if he turns around after this and said, when I, hey, when I said that he didn't rent it out, uh, and by the way, he didn't just say, no, that's not true. He said that's total bullshit. He acted like he could not believe Anybody was saying such an insane rumor out there like that that was the reason why. Can you believe it? Total bullshit. And then sure enough, we see Mark Zuckerberg there. So if you're going to turn around after that and say, no, no, no he didn't rent it, didn't pay a cent for it. We just gave it to him. We, we, we wanted him to come. We invited him. We knew he was a big fan. And so we did that out of the goodness of our hearts. Therefore, I didn't lie. It's kind of be like, it'd be like, Chad, if your wife asked you like, hey, did you sleep with our neighbor? And you go, no, I didn't. And then you later, turns out like, you just had sex with her. Neither one of you slept at all.
0: Wasn't a lot of sleeping going on that night. High five the bros, right? right? Not
1: a single wink of sleep. Therefore, you did not lie. And it'd be like, well, (laughs) you still in some trouble. (laughs) Like you didn't exactly, you know, sneak right out of that one. You're still going to have some shit to answer for. And so it was like, come on. The thing I don't understand here, well, there's lots of things I don't understand. For one thing, He knew when he went out there to give that tweet that we were all going to see Zuckerberg on the goddamn TV screen sitting right at the cage side, right there, like along the fence. Like he's, he had a better seat than many of the judges. He knew we were going to see that. So what the hell is the point of getting out there and being like indignant about it? being like, no, that's total bullshit. Like, why not just say nothing? If that's the, because it was a poorly kept secret to begin with, people knew about this. There was a lot of talk that it was that the reason was something Zuckerberg related, kind of from the get go, kind of from the, yeah. as soon as you told people that.
0: Well, hell, though, I mean, Mackenzie Dern came out and said it at the pre-fight press conference. Right.
1: But, I mean, even before that, there there were rumors, people saying stuff, and then Mackenzie Dern said, the only thing I know is that Mark Zuckerberg ran it out. That's what I was told. And then you're going to get indignant about it and be like, no way, that's total bullshit, knowing that in a couple days we're all going to see him there. And the UFC yeah. is going to be very proud of him being there. So they're going to they put it on social media. By the way, the most tone-deaf social media post I've seen in a while. When you sh- Mark Zuckerberg is all is of us. all of us. He literally <laughs> is not. Like, he is so different <laughs> than all of us. And the fact that he is there for this event that's basically being done for the pleasure of the Emperor highlights that fact so, so perfectly so that to me, like, oh, yeah, he's just like all of us. We all have got the apex to ourselves, and none of these other fucking plebs are even allowed to breathe the same air as you're watching the fights. Like, no, he's, he's very clearly not all of us. So that is kind of hilarious unintentionally. But also... Like, I wonder who, it seems to me like both Mark Zuckerberg and the UFC think that this is a way cooler look than it is for both of them. Because, yeah. like, does Mark Zuckerberg realize that he is basically the Emperor Commodus here? He is Commodus. And Yan Jan Yan-, Yan is, like, uh, Maximus. Like, he's the guy out there who's being like, clear out all the rabble. So that I can sit here and watch these extremely poorly paid professional athletes fight for my pleasure. Like that's not a great look already when you are often uh, sort of pilloried in public as a completely out of touch, aloof, mega wealthy person who does not give a shit about regular people. And then you got to be like, let me call ahead, clear out all the normies so that I could enjoy some fights. And, and they're like, not the media too. Like that's part. It's like, what did they think? What were they worried was going to happen? Like, are they worried that like Mike Bond or, or Jose Young's or somebody is going to walk up to him and be like, tell us about what happened with the Rohingya Muslims and my, there's blood on your hands, Mark. What do you have to say for yourself? Like, nothing's going to happen like that. People are, they're, they were they're worried focused on doing their jobs. John
0: Morgan would be activated like the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> And he would slip a firearm into the apex and become a threat to the personal safety of Mark Zuckerberg. Like, that's what's going on here, right? Security. This is because of security. And look, man, if you told me that the story was that Zuck called up the UFC and was like, look, man, I'm a big Mackenzie Dern guy. I want to bring the Facebook big wigs down to the apex for a half-assed corporate retreat. Fun down there in Las Vegas for the this UFC Fight Night event. But the thing is, and when I say Zuck, I mean one of his many minions obviously makes this phone call. They say, the thing is, Mr. Zuckerberg is one of the richest people in the world. So number one, we can't have anybody else there. So we'll pay whatever price you need for us to pay for this to be a private event just for us. And number two, we don't want anyone to, to talk about it beforehand because that's going to tip off the Manchurian candidate John Morgan and his handlers that Zuckerberg (laughs) is going to be there. So we need to keep this secret until Zuckerberg arrives. And the UFC said, well, we'll frankly do anything for money. So yes, absolutely. We would love to have the Zuckerberg family and his closest Facebook associates down here for this, for this, uh, private event. Now, if you told me that that's what what happened, I, that's, I would believe that that's probably the most likely scenario for how we got into this. Uh, and look, I'm never going to say anything that makes it seem like I feel bad for Mark Zuckerberg. But one of the things that crosses my mind here is like, really? You're like one of the richest guys in the world. And number one, the event you want to rent out the Apex for is one of the worst fight nights of the year. Right. First of all, that's hilarious because, hey, man, you offer the UFC enough money, they'll let you have a fucking private pay-per-view, right? Some people are out here like, oh, this might have been the only one the UFC would rent the Apex for. Like, fuck that, dude. If Mark Zuckerberg was like, I will give you a million dollars, whatever the gate is, I'll give you $10 million. The UFC would be like, yeah, absolutely. We'll do a private pay-per-view for you, Mr. Zuckerberg. Like, of course they would. They will do anything for money. So number one, it's hilarious that he rented out uh, the Apex for Mackenzie Dern. And number two, that seems shitty, man, not to be able to go anywhere, like not to be able to go to a fight thing where there's only going to be like 100 people there anyway. What you what you make all that money for, bro? Like that seems shitty. It seems like the worst thing ever.
1: But also one thing that undermines your point that, hey, it's a security concern. He can't just go to a UFC event is that Donald goddamn Trump went to UFC 264. I mean, at, look. At the if you T-Mobile also told me Arena. that
0: maybe Zuckerberg has a little bit more of a cohesive plan for safety than Trump does. Uh, I, probably I mean, the Secret that too.
1: Service was responsible for Trump's safety, so he went there to T-Mobile Arena, like a much bigger venue. People knew he was going to come. It's a big deal. Him showing up had a lot of like. It was not a secretive thing, really, at all. It, he was able to go, and it was fine, you know. And you're telling me that. The security concerns, the security threat to, to Mark Zuckerberg is greater than it is to like a former U.S. president, especially a very controversial and in many circles hated U.S. president. I don't know, man. Like, I guess that's, that's where we get into the distinction of is this how he has to live or is this how he wants to live?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And I also think and the weirdest thing. The, no, the other
1: thing I would say is if it is a case of this is how he has to live or how he thinks he has to live that gets at something weird that is going on just in our culture generally, because if you are a super rich and powerful person and yet you have to operate with the assumption that you can't be out in public or around people, if you don't a hundred percent know everybody who's there and they haven't all been vetted because people might want to hurt you or people might be mad at you. People might want to do something to you for, for either monetary gain of their own or just because they hate you. And your wealth and power allows you to just kind of constantly avoid that. Like, maybe it's kind of doing everybody a disservice because then you never have to confront maybe the reasons for which people might feel that way about you. Or the reasons that you might fear that they fear feel that way about you. Like, it, it insulates you from any sort of consequences of your own behavior. And if it's the wealth and the power that's necessitating that and allowing you to do that, but it's also the thing that people look at and they go, here's someone with wealth and power that he could use for good, and he's not. And that's why we're mad at him. Then maybe that person should have to confront that every once in a while. And maybe if the price is your life kind of sucks because you can't go anywhere, well, then maybe that is a sort of the deal with the devil that you've struck. Because I feel like other wealthy people can go places, and they don't have to worry quite as much about everybody hating them.
0: Yeah, uh, I I guess the thing that I understand—I kind of understand—they don't want to have any other fans there for whatever reason. If you wanted to rent this thing out for like a Facebook sweat
1: hogs, whatever.
0: They did say like one of the the UFC. One of the UFC people got online and was like, well, it was great to always oh, read Harris yeah. sent a tweet out that was like, it was great to have the Facebook team here. So I was like, Oh, maybe it was like a weird corporate thing for Facebook, whatever you want to rent it out. It's bizarre not to have the media there, uh, because the MMA media ain't going to do fucking shit. They're not going to rig fucking shit except <laughs> like report on the fights. And if it's a security issue, okay, well you kept, uh, Brett Okamoto and Mike Bond and John Morgan from being there. Uh, but that room was still full of fucking people because you have to have the fucking commission people there. All the UFC staff was there. The refs were there. The, you know, it was, it's, it's like, it's not like you kept everybody from being there. It was just like, you didn't want fans and media there, which is, it's bizarre to me. We got a lot of mail, About Zuckerberg, we got one from our guy Steven G on Patreon, who said, I know this has been and will be discussed, but the UFC's handling of Zuckerberg's attendance was just so utterly strange, even by MMA standards, gaslighting everybody about what was going on, barring the media for no particular reason, traumatizing Zuckerberg's wife, who is a medical doctor, by the way, this weekend was (laughs) MMA shenanigans turned up to 11 And then Dan Alexander wrote in, he said, a grinning Cheshire cat-looking Zuckerberg and wife sitting cage side. No atmosphere due to a self-inflicted empty apex and a fight card that Dana couldn't really give a shit about. Individually, these would be god-awful, but collectively they seem like more reasons to dislike the UFC. Uh, So we got some reaction from listeners like that. And I agree, like this was a very weird, even on the heels of the pandemic, this was a very weird uh atmosphere for the apex when you started watching it and you looked out there and you were like oh even even the like lazy boy recliners that they push in for like whoever gets the seats at the apex are empty like this is very strange
1: yeah and the the barring of the media thing like especially i've seen people you know we're going to get on the tinfoil hats in a situation like this in, in all kind of ways especially if the ufc decides to just leave it as a vacuum like no explanations afterwards no no talking about it afterwards just like we lied to you beforehand you saw we lied to you and then afterwards we're just going to give you guys several days of without of unfettered discourse about what you think we were up to and I've seen more than one person be like was this a test run for the UFC freezing out media in general and I don't know if I necessarily believe that because the UFC still likes to use the media to promote the events. Like they still had a media day. That's where Mackenzie Dern said her thing about uh, you know, letting the cat out of the bag that it was all Mark Zuckerberg. Uh still let him come to weigh-ins, all that stuff. Still want you to promote the show. Don't want to let you cover the yeah. show, still want to let you promote the show. And yet it also made me wonder, like, how did the the media outlets Reflect on this afterwards that they look at their numbers and be like, Well, our numbers were way down because we didn't have anybody there shooting video of scrums afterwards backstage or people's post fight press conferences and everything. Like, or were their numbers more or less the same? Were they maybe figuring out that they don't need to be at all these events? But also, the ones who really kind of take a hit on this are a lot of the fighters, not only because, you know, Mackenzie Dern uh, said specifically. That she wanted to fight at an event with a crowd. Asked for that in her contract negotiations with the UFC, she said. Like, wanted to have that live crowd energy. And a lot of fighters talk about that. That they really feel a difference when there's a live crowd. And instead, not only did they not give her a live crowd in a big venue kind of fight. But take away what fans there were at the Apex. And so that it's even smaller and more muted and weirder than, than normal. But also for all the fighters who fight and win... And normally you're going to get that shine afterwards where you get to sit down in the post fight press conference and there's video of you and everybody writes about it. And and now you don't get that. Now it's just kind of like it's already hard to stand out and be somebody that we notice and remember from one week to the next. And then you lose out on one of the few opportunities that there is to kind of keep the spotlight on you after a good win or a good performance afterwards. And that's got to suck for them, too, because now it's just like, all right. You know you look around at a lot of the websites like MMA fighting MMA junkie you saw a whole lot more Bellator shit than you normally would on a night when the Bellator and a UFC kind of go up against each other and some of that is that it was a better Bellator event than normal but some of that is just because it was the only option. the UFC wasn't gonna let you come to their shit. so you got to do more Bellator stuff.
0: yeah. Uh, shout out by the way to Amy Kaplan from the MMA media who was the first person to report this that it was gonna be closed to media and fans. I was a little bit, didn't know what to think when nobody like reported that it was going to be Zuckerberg for all week when it seemed like everybody knew that it was going to be because of Zuckerberg. Didn't see any stories come out in advance. You know who first tipped me off that it was going to be Zuckerberg? CME listener Brandon Boyd. Okay. Who hit us up on Twitter to say, look, Zuckerberg's private jet just took off from San Jose and is going to land in Las Vegas. And I was like, oh, seems like it's going to be Zuck. So I don't know where you were at, MMA media. This doesn't seem like it would be that hard of a one to get to the bottom of, frankly. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and we'll do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on uh, to round number two. Ben, speaking of Bellator putting on a better show than normal, Bellator had a raw liver-eating contest between Paulo Costa, one of the Pitbull brothers... And the social media influencer, the Liver King, who, by the way, looks like he's about five foot seven. Are you familiar with this guy, the Liver King? You follow this guy on the Grams? You know what he does? Never
1: heard of him before. I feel like I got a pretty good sense of what he does by his name and this one thing I know about him now.
0: Yeah, he's one of these guys, one of the many, many guys, I should say, at this point, who are basically trying to sell like a self-actualization and workout fantasy to men. Uh, you know, basically saying, well, fuck, I don't know what he's saying. Basically saying all you have to do is eat raw meat and sleep on a rock hard bed made out of wooden pallets and drag a kettlebell around, uh, you know, behind you or some shit and you'll be ripped like me. Uh, you'll have everything you want in life if you just shut up and work harder. Right. Okay. Which is one of the main tenants of all the self-actualization bullshit, uh, that people are trying to sell mostly to men, which by the way is one of the primary reasons why everybody in our dad and grandfather's generations just quietly committed suicide. Uh, <laughs> because that's just none of that shit is true. And I uh, have never been true. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, I guess that's my first. Are you fucking kidding me? Even though I didn't. really. I was not it. expecting it to go yeah, that way. Yeah. Okay. But, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I guess this is what we're always asking Bellator to do, right? Like, have a do a thing that the UFC would never do. Like, bring in this fucking weird five-foot-seven muscle-bound guy who's going to wear a wolf's head on top of his actual head and, like, eat raw liver with Paulo Costa. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was super awkward. So I guess you got that out mm-hmm. of it. And, you know. I guess it was good. Is it? Was it good? I, I don't know. Was it good? You know, not the liver,
1: but like the display. Was this a good thing for? If, did this work? Was this? It, it did something because people were talking about it. And yeah. also that's, talking about it now. There's another one that helped when the UFC is freezing out media and the Bellator is like, we would like to invite you to some weird ass shit. you want to see our weird ass shit? And we go, yeah, sure. We got cameras. We'll, we'll go to your weird ass shit. Um, just for me personally, I have a rule that if I am asked to participate in any sort of competition and the, like if you ask me to participate in like a water drinking competition and the guy you want me to go up against is nicknamed the water King, <laughs> I, I'm going to think twice, or I'm at least going to temper my expectations for my, for my own performance. Cause that kind of is a, is a dead giveaway also uh we really missed the boat not getting in on some self-actualization guru shit like that's what we should have oh, done oh yeah
0: oh yeah 100 oh
1: man well chad are you fucking
0: kidding? that's an are you fucking kidding me for yeah, us
1: that is that one's on us my are you fucking kidding me chad um so it's a new week and a new beef for conor mcgregor who is now mad at michael bisping hmm. you hear about this
0: Yeah, weird choice, but okay.
1: And even Michael Bisping does not seem to know what it's about. (laughs) Uh, It starts out, I'm reading the story uh, from Bloody Elbow uh, by Tim Bissell. And he says that it seems to have come from a Conor McGregor tweet where he wrote, all these little twerps want to be actors now, little twerps. He repeats that. I mean- He started out with little twerps. There's only one Mac Daddy, bad to the bone, but with a good heart. Action with Jake Jill or rom-com with Sarah Sarah Jessica Bisping. (laughs) Remember that show you were in? Yeah, me neither. And then Bisping responds on his podcast and says, I was just befuddled. I wasn't annoyed or anything. Just scratching my head going, where's that coming from out of the blue? He's all excited. He's at his first beer and he's doing a big show with Jake Gyllenhaal. God bless him. Good for fucking you. Well done. Why have you going to throw shade my way? I don't get it. Which, you know what? I'm with you, Bisping. I don't get it either. Yeah. Like, yeah. what the hell? And then... One of the worst things to happen to Conor Gregor is for him to learn about voice notes. Oh no! Because he had been posting these voice notes on Twitter, and I, I mean, it's just those those need to go through an editor. You know, we need to have somebody who's a little bit of a firewall, like stand between him posting those. Uh, and in his in his voice note, he says, "Do you want to go to war, man? Yeah." you want to go to fucking war? We'll go to war with you, yeah. Security, you little sausage of a thing. I'll have security set you up. Where do you stay when you're in Vegas again, pal? Little apex fucking pad. Keep my name out of your fucking mouth and any type of threatening behavior or I'll walk through your front door. Yep, Laguna, you little dope. Yep, the Manx, yep. Go back where you belong, you little clown, you little sprinter. Man, I feel like this version of Bisping is the least... Serbic version the most likable version the most easygoing version the least likely to start any feud version like he used to be when he had a fighting career he could get anybody into a blood feud with him now he's a pretty easygoing guy and now you want to start a beef with him with michael fucking bisping he's he's a kind of beloved figure in retirement with one goddamn eye what the fuck are you fucking kidding me
0: fucking kidding me it's like conor mcgregor is trying to work a guy richie movie with michael bisping i don't know if it's gonna work out for him anyway that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two
1: Well, Chad, it seemed like maybe everybody was expecting this one to be sort of a showcase fight for Mackenzie Dern. And when I say everybody, I don't just mean, you know, oddsmakers having her as a favorite, but the UFC, even on Fight Week, posted a tweet where it showed some pictures of Mackenzie Dern and labeled her the woman who this entire fight card was built around. Then she comes in here, uh, fight, goes for all five rounds, loses a majority decision to Yan Xiaonan, And kind of seems like you can feel a lot of people in the MMA community going, all right, we've been waiting for Mackenzie Dern to turn into the version of Mackenzie Dern that we felt like was there, was under the surface there, just needed a little more seasoning and experience, and then it was going to come out. And it seemed like the UFC was kind of setting it up thinking, maybe this will be the one. We got... You know, Mackenzie Dern had Mark Zuckerberg and his wife come in. I had Zuckerberg talking about how Mackenzie Dern is his wife's favorite fighter. It seemed like it's going to be Mackenzie Dern night. And then she comes in there and she doesn't get it done. It, do you feel like this is one where people are going, okay, that was all the rope we were willing to give to find out if Mackenzie Dern's going to become a big time thing? Or do you think that's another example of, you know, maybe the MMA community doing the thing it does where it makes its judgments too soon and is reluctant to alter them?
0: I don't know. Mackenzie Dern is not quite thirty years old. I believe she is now with seven and three in the UFC. She's but she's one and two in her last three now after this loss to Shao Nan Yan. Uh, I think that this it just underscored to me again how difficult it is to be a specialist in this sport in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two, especially like like the thing is. If you're going to have one thing that is your thing, you have to be so astronomically lights out good at it that you can do it to anyone at any time, even if they have that shit scouted like you have to be Damian Maya in order to just have jujitsu skills. You have to be Bo nickel if you're going to come in here and kick the door down with almost nothing but your wrestling and go out there and get it done. Uh, You look at a guy like Israel Adesanya, who maybe came in as a pure kickboxer. Well, his takedown defense is kind of off the charts at this point, man. Like he has got the necessary skills to keep the fight in his realm where he can dominate with his striking skills. Mackenzie Dern doesn't seem to have either of those complementary skills. Like the takedowns don't really seem to be there at least not in numbers sufficient to be able to get the win. And it also, she's great at jujitsu. She's a jujitsu phenom. That's her thing. But it was also clear that Jan had most of those submission attempts scouted yeah, and like did a good job with positioning and all that and just didn't get caught and won what was sort of a close decision against us. However, if this thing was by Stockton rules, There was a couple of rounds there that ended where Mackenzie Dern looked like she was digging for an arm bar. So maybe if they're fighting forever, maybe Mackenzie Dern ends up winning this thing. But unfortunately, that's not how we do it. Well, under the unified rules, I just it's just like I watch this fight and I'm just like, man, if you are going to have one thing that you do, and especially if that thing is submissions, which is the thing that everybody knows how to do now, you have to be so good at it that it's that no one can stop you. And it just doesn't seem like Mackenzie Dern is like quite there.
1: Yeah. That is the problem with being a submission specialist is that if you don't finish those submissions then it doesn't count for a whole lot, especially to be like a jujitsu specialist It's one thing. Cause if you're a wrestler who is trying to take somebody down and either beat them up on the floor or look for a submission, once you get on the floor, that skill set tends to end up with you being in top position in a dominant position that, Judges recognize very easily as you winning the fight. And if you're a jujitsu specialist, you might be more willing to put yourself on your back. You might be willing to sacrifice position at times. If you think you got a submission locked in, but if you are not able to finish the submission, it we don't always agree on how to score those because almost yeah. getting a submission doesn't necessarily count. I mean, If you're a striker and you're trying to go out there and knock people out and you're landing punches, but that's not knocking them out, you're still landing punches. They still recognize that as you winning the fight. And it's not necessarily the same with just trying and getting close to a submission. And so that already adds a level of difficulty. But you're also right in that, you know, Demian Maia struggled with the same thing at points in his career. When people know this is your thing and people can tailor their game plan around stopping your thing, then that's when you have to come up with something else. Like, And it took Damian Maya a long time in his career, and so maybe this should give us hope that Mackenzie Dern could still figure it out. He, I remember talking to a story on him with his coaches where they talked about how they just changed their entire approach where they realized, like, okay, we've been trying to make him a jiu-jitsu guy who also has boxing, and the boxing part not only is not working out, but it's kind of holding back the other part. What we need to do is make every aspect of his game, his wrestling, his striking, everything geared towards getting us where we want to be so that we can finish fights with submissions. That should be the only goal. But that took them a while. They had to go through some losses in some high-profile fights that they thought were going to get them into a title fight. They had to go through that in order to learn that lesson and to, to sort of course correct. You point out Mackenzie Dern still pretty young, You know, still has some time left on the clock that she could make those adjustments um it it also seemed like she took this one pretty damn hard like she it seemed like felt like this was supposed to be the showcase fight for her as well and yeah and felt like that she she blew that opportunity
0: yeah it's and it's sad to read those quotes from her where she's like apologizing to the zuckerberg family and all this other stuff and being like i'm sorry if i made anybody sad with my performance like that's that's kind of heartbreaking stuff to read from a, from an athlete. I want to get to this question though, from, from Sean Schatzel who wrote in and said, if round five of Dern versus Yon wasn't a 10, eight in favor of Dern, what exactly is a 10, eight please discourse. Now I don't want to make it seem like Mackenzie Dern got blown out of the water by Shonan Yan. Like this was a close fight. Two judges had it 48, 47. One judge had it 47, 47. Uh, and so it was a majority decision win for Jan. And if you score that final round, which was essentially a complete shutout by Mackenzie Dern until like the last 10 seconds, Jan kind of gets free and goes ham and just like starts spamming buttons, start spamming ground and pound buttons on the, on the control pad, uh, I I probably would have scored it a 10-8, to be honest. And if you do that, this is a 47-47 draw.
1: Well, yeah, and then who, nobody's happy. Um, and the UFC doesn't have to pay out any win bonuses, so they're happy. But I, I have a theory. I would love to see the numbers on this one. My theory, Chad, you ready for this? The later...
0: A lot of theories this week. <laughs> a lot of different theories from different people, so I'm excited to hear yours now.
1: The later you get into a fight, without a round being scored 10-8, the less likely it be, becomes that judges will score a round 10-8. I think that they they kind of get into this rhythm of thinking like, okay, this person won that one, so 10-9. That person, the other guy won this one, that's 10-9. I think if you get later into a fight, it takes more for them to score a 1-10-8 because it's sort of breaking that pattern that they've sort of subconsciously got themselves into. And it frustrates me, especially, you know, change the unified rules uh, criteria, trying to get people to use the 10-8 stuff more. Because especially in MMA and especially with a five-minute round, there are just so many situations where you see somebody, one fighter win round one by a little bit. You know, clear that they won, but not by a ton. And then you see round two won by the other fighter by a lot. They didn't come necessarily close to finishing it. The other person wasn't saved by the bell or anything like that. But they, they definitely won it by a whole lot more than the other person won their round by, and that's when that's what the scoring criteria, the ten point system, the whole range of the ten point system should that that's exactly what it should offer us, is the ability to distinguish between winning by a little and winning by a lot, and we just don't the judges don't use it, and they kind of get each other into the habit of not using it very much, and so then they don't they they don't want to risk looking like the outlier of just throwing around ten eighths all the time.
0: Yeah, uh, we should not get out of this round without crediting Nan Yan here and Team Alpha Male. They seem like they did a great job preparing for Mackenzie Dern. She came into this fight on the heels of back-to-back losses to Carla Esparza and Marina Rodriguez. So I guess on paper, I could see why you might think this would be a a, uh, a showcase fight for Mackenzie Dern. But just physically and like athletically and preparation-wise and in terms of having well-rounded skills, Yan seemed to me like the better fighter here and absolutely deserve to get this win so props to her i guess and uriah faber who seems like he looks more like the dude from the big lebowski every time we see
1: him you know what and i don't know if that's accidental you know
0: no and it's and i'm not i don't want to say like it's bad like that's a compliment <laughs> as far as i'm concerned yeah, that's, i feel probably like what he's going for. maybe maybe living his best life right now i think we should celebrate yeah that. absolutely all right that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back well, Ben, you mentioned that Bellator 286, which took place over the weekend head to head with this UFC fight night, by the way, uh, was one of Bellator's better events. And I don't disagree with that. You had uh, Patricio Pitbull come out and uh, have a successful defense of his featherweight title against Adam Boric via decision. You had AJ McKee get into kind of a wild fight with Spike Carlisle that McKee won. You had Aaron Pico on this card, and that ended obviously in in wacky fashion. So there was some, uh, you know, some some stuff of interest going on here. But I'm going to be honest, man, that a lot of people have been asking us questions, mostly over on the Patreon during either the live chat or the power hour or something like that about whether Bellator is still the number two MMA organization. And my honest response after a weekend like this is like, I don't really know. Like PFL is out there, I think doing some very visible things, largely owing to the fact that it is also on ESPN Plus alongside the UFC. And so that makes a handy one-stop shop for people to buy subscriptions. You can watch the UFC and you can watch PFL. You have one championship now having landed on Amazon prime, which makes their programming very, very available to a lot of people. Uh, And then you got Bellator kind of feel like it's spinning its wheels a little bit over on Showtime where it's like, man, if you don't already have Showtime, I don't know if you're going to get Showtime just to watch Bellator so this was a good event, I think, and I think they did some nice stuff, but I still kind of get the feeling like, man, it's almost like they're hiding this stuff from us, keeping it over there behind the paywall at Showtime. Is that is that unfair for me to say that?
1: No, it's not, but it's also, when you are owned by the parent media company, probably not the kind of thing that changes that easily. And honestly, right. it's it's been a challenge for Bellator for a long time to find a steady home, right? Like, the... It was on Spuke TV, as Dana White liked to call it there for a while. And then we rebrand that; that becomes Paramount. All, like you know, uh, we we move this over to Showtime. You, we kept thinking, okay, the opportunity should be there to get you on some CBS, some actual like network TV stuff, and make it more available. And it does seem like, especially when you're already kind of fighting for second place in the MMA space accessibility is going to be the big thing. It's going to be the di- big difference maker. And you made the comment we were talking about PFL sort of benefiting from just being on the same platform as the UFC. So fans already have yeah. it. And you were like, it's not It's not fair. It's almost unfair for PFL to get to ride that wave. And yet, it seems to make a big difference. You know, like just the, the yeah. coverage you get from ESPN, the, the increased visibility you get from being there, the chance that just... More fight fans are going to accidentally sort of stumble on your stuff. Nobody's accidentally stumbling on something that's over. That's the only fight thing that the only MMA thing they may want to watch over on Showtime.
0: Yeah. And doesn't it feel almost like bad luck for Scott Coker? Yeah. Like, as you mentioned, Bellator is owned by Viacom. Viacom also owns Showtime. And I'm sure that Viacom thinks of Bellator in much the same way that ESPN thinks of the UFC that is just sort of like content for them to have on their subscription service so Viacom wants Bellator to be over on Showtime essentially just so they have it there just so like oh you know if you have Showtime we have all this content for you live sports content but if you're Scott Coker it's got to feel a little bit like man the gold rush is on with these streaming services out here like paying big bucks to have mma on it hell man if one championship can land on amazon prime where was, what in showtime it's, bellator is trapped on showtime and like scotty Cox can't go out and fucking work a deal with hulu for eight bazillion dollars man it's just it feels a little bit like bad luck
1: to be honest yeah and it feels like you were down there in the trenches for years and years fighting this battle, and then a lot of other people are reaping some rewards from it, maybe more so than you yeah. are. Uh, and it does seem like, as you're saying, you know, uh, one championship being on Amazon and everything. As as more MMA organizations get better visibility and and the ability to be seen by more fight fans, either on purpose or accidentally, then it just makes it so that the the struggle forget about talking about how do you go from number two to the cross the vast gulf that separates you from being number one. It's how do you even stay at number two? Like it's a scratch and claw and kind of battle just to do that. And it seems like you're kind of losing ground. Yeah. And yet when you look at who they have, the fights that they can put on the events that they can put on this, this weekend is a good example. They can put on some good shows. They have fighters who we actually care about. If you can just get people to see them.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like it felt as though they had some momentum during the rise of AJ McKee. And it's just sort of felt like they were unable to capitalize on it for, I think, a number of different reasons. First of all, that it's just, you know, if you were any other MMA organization in this landscape, it's just hard to keep people's attention when the UFC is constantly just cranking the meat grinder and shows events are just spewing out of it all the time. And we have not decided to make any value judgments about what we will cover when it's the UFC, the media is just fucking covering everything that the UFC does, like it's gold. Like, oh, Dana White's contender series. We gotta have somebody at that even. Like it's hard to just get a word in edgewise with the UFC dominating the landscape in the way that they do. But also it's just like, uh, you didn't get a company man when it came to AJ McKee kind of being potentially your biggest star. Like that, and again. And AJ McKee absolutely should do that. That's good for AJ McKee. He should be out here trying to make as much money as he can, uh, trying to be a free agent, trying to go whoever is going to pay him the most money. But Bellator, you really could have used the guy who was going to be like, I'm in Bellator forever. This is my home. I can't wait to kick everybody's ass. And uh, eventually Bellator will be acknowledged as having the best fighter in the world at maybe both of these weight classes. You didn't get that, which was too bad. Uh, But it just, it felt like for all of those reasons they couldn't really capitalize on on a having aj mckee ride this sort of wave of of popularity and his kind of like uh maturation process in in mma of course now you got the lightweight grand prix coming up next year in 2023 and it remains to be seen if or what kind of momentum and what kind of headlines that'll be able to grab for you
1: yeah but you know, you, you asked before if the idea of the Grand Prix is getting old. And for me, it's not. For me, the Grand Prix, even yeah. if if it might get a little less pop each time you announce a new one, because people are like, oh, another one of those, huh? Okay. Uh, still, I think once you get it up and running, that is a good way to manufacture interest and to manufacture meaning. Because somebody who goes through that, especially if you can keep the tournament together, and you know, uh, somebody who fights in round one eventually wins in the championship round, then it really does feel like something like, look what it did for AJ McKee.
0: All right, let's go ahead and we will do just saying stuff. And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff?
1: Chad, I don't know if you heard, they had themselves some elections in Brazil. Oh, did they? Had some elections this weekend. Now you may recall that one of the people on the ballot the axe murderer himself, Vanderlei Silva, I believe. Oh, I forgot
0: that Vanderlei had his name over there on the ballot. See, I was, I saw a lot of the coverage of the Brazilian election, but very little of it had to do with Vanderlei yeah, Silva. I
1: mean, there's a lot of the coverage more worried about uh, whether we're going to face a major crisis around Bolsonaro and rightly so, but Vanderlei loses. I believe this is his second attempt to get elected to Congress in Brazil. I'm reading this story on MMA fighting by Guilherme Cruz, Uh, he notes that Vanderlei would have needed over uh, 61,500 votes to earn a seat at the Congress in his home state of Piranha. I'm sure I'm nailing the pronunciation. He received 13,907 votes, which is 154 more votes than he got last time he tried in 2018. So I guess... I'm just saying, at this rate, he only needs to continue this incremental improvement. And by the time he's, I don't know what, like 140 years old or something, he should be in there. Don't give up, Vanderlei. I'm just saying. Baby steps. am wow,
0: just saying. Yeah. Well, Ben, this week, I'm just saying, it kind of seemed like maybe we were right about Ben Rothwell potentially being pretty good at bare knuckle fighting. Mm -hmm. Do you see this? He went out there over the weekend, made his debut in the BKFC against Bobo, the Bible belt brawler O'Bannon, knocked him out in something like, I'm just going to ballpark it seven seconds or something like that. This thing was fast. Ben Rothwell went out there throwing them big old Ben Rothwell hands, just like we said he ought to do. And it did not last. It did not go very long. I don't know if it was just the angle that I was watching it from, but it also looked like maybe he kind of hit Bobo Banyan when he was down MMA style. But I'm not casting stones. The Dark Lord has announced his arrival in the BKFC. Jumps on the mic. Says, basically, essentially, you have no idea how high I can fly. And then does the... Evil Ben Rothwell, Dark Lord, which I couldn't. (laughs) There it is. God, that sounds just like it. Uh, I couldn't love it anymore. Congratulations to Ben Rothwell for making us look brilliant by going out here and being really super good at bare knuckle boxing. I'm just saying. Just saying.
1: You know, I appreciate him, too. Rolling up 292 pounds and furry. (laughs) You know, just body hair everywhere you can imagine it. And just looking like there's there's at least five different reasons I don't want to fight that man and stripped mm-hmm. to the waist in a bare knuckle brawl comp- competition, and uh, you know he lands that last punch. Some habits are hard to break, Jed. You spend so many years doing the MMA, you know, and the the hands just let themselves go. It's that, that's going to take some work to unlearn.
0: Uh, all right, is that it? We are we're we're out of here for this week. That's it. All right, that does it for this week's episode of The Proper. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you happen to be a $20 patron of the CME already, well, stay tuned for our new CME After Hours segment coming up pretty much right now. If you're not a member of the CME Patreon, fix that. Fix that right now. Go to patreon.com slash co-main event, and we'll be over there the rest of the week with the Wednesday live chat, Thursdays, doing the damn thing, and of course... The Friday Power Hour. For right now, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. Ben, did you see this picture of Dana White who made the rounds last night? Where he's looking <laughs> pretty in shape
1: these days. Good lighting. Good lighting on that.